Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, where we bring you a mainstream film and a cult film that are thematically related, and we discuss them for you. I'm super excited about this one. This is our first anime uh, week here at Cult and Classic Podcast. So we are discussing uh, an interesting thematically linked pair here today. We are discussing Eight Man After and Go Shogun Time A Tranger. Now, of course, those are the American names. Um, but both of these films uh, are actually uh, sort of reboots or soft reboots or continuations of older shows. So Eight Man After is the first one we're going to talk about. And this is uh, based off the manga and anime series called Eight Man, which ran the anime series, which is probably the most well-known variety of it, ran for 56 episodes. And it ran in 63 in Japan, and I think came out in 65 or 66 here in the States. It was black and white. Very interesting show. It predated um the common writer uh, sort of anime um it even predated cyborg 009 by a little bit which was a very famous manga and anime multiple anime series so eight man after is a 1993 sort of reboot reimagining just like uh, ghost shogun time of stranger which we'll talk about later uh it's it's kind of it could stand alone as its own interpretation, but it really doesn't. It allows people who loved the original series, uh, who will be much older, uh, to sort of continue on into a brand new era with this, with some interesting results. It is, uh, while we reviewed it as a film here, uh, it was released under the Perfect Collection banner, which so many anime series were. It's actually an OA, uh, OVA, an original video, original animated video, OAV. And uh, it's four episodes. So total, it runs to about an hour and a half. The plot is complicated, but actually really simple. There's an android that has a human soul or, or mental essence put into it. And the android is uh, super powerful and is supposed to be a force for good, but also supposed to be emotion free because if the person's emotions get involved, the android responds to them as though they are right and wrong. And you can become hyper violent or do things that can no longer be controlled interesting concept uh it is a super strong um parallel to the american robocop series uh, of which i am perhaps the largest fan in the world 
yes, I donated money to the Detroit Robocop statue that is yet to be built. Uh, and I'm still proud of it and I would do it again. But here's the thing. This actually isn't a retelling of the original eight man. It is a, after the series ended, uh, eight man disappears from his love who discovers for the first time, I guess that he is eight man and a new eight man arises when she sort of starts to get close to this really kind of pissy edgy uh, private detective. And of course, the private detective is mortally wounded and they shove his brain materials in the body of eight man. He becomes the new eight man who is a slightly edgier version of the original. And so essentially this poor woman has uh, uh, had two loves become eight man uh, and eventually leave her. Although there's a little bit at the end where she sort of finds them. A lot of interesting stuff in between. I'm going to introduce our panelists because I didn't do that because I was so excited to talk about 8-Man After. I, of course, am Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic for uh, HorrorNews.net and host here at Colton Classic Podcast. Then we have Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? You're on mute, ma'am. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say this subject of anime made me feel 20 years old again. The uh, period of my life where I watched a lot of anime and it was nice to revisit it. I'm, I'm glad I too uh, miss anime, especially uh, these are Eight Man Afters from 93 and Ghost Shogun Time of Trangers from 85. These are kind of my favorite eras of anime. Um, not that there isn't some great stuff coming out now and some trash from back then, just like all times. But it is, it's really when it was sort of a wild world, anything went uh, and, and people were excited to see it. So they were churning out really oddball things. Uh, Greg, Greg Johnson, friend, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I mean, Eight Man was no Astro Boy, but you know it's okay. <laughs> it's true, uh, listeners. We almost brought you the uh, Astro Boy 3D animated film that came out um, a few years ago, uh, 2009, I think, somewhere around there. You can double check me on that. Uh, that Nicolas Cage voiced a character in, but we didn't. Maybe for the future. Jeffrey Tucker is with us. How are you doing, Jeff? Humbly, Eight Man before. Eight man before i i don't think you were but i i appreciate the the sentiment. prove it <laughs> that's true i can't i cannot prove anything tad mastroianni you're rounding our cast how are you doing today tad konnichiwa nerds ah that's right uh, did anybody else see i think it was it was on some voice talent show i think uh one of the contestants they essentially were making fun of because she was an anime nerd and she instead of saying the term otaku to describe herself she used the word old taco because apparently that's what she thought it said. Did anybody ever see that? I mean, Google. I don't hear the difference, but <laughs> go Google it. Google it. I feel bad. I shouldn't make fun of, but wow. It was a funny, funny moment. Old taco. Somebody, it's one of those things, you know, you gotta ask them to specify before you use a term. So eight man after has anybody on the panel besides me seen the original eight man show? No. Nope. Okay. So just to give it back. None to of us are that old, Nate. Uh, it's oh. true. It's true. <laughs> well, I remember uh, uh, my best man at my wedding, Jason, and, and his brother, Justin. I lived with them. I grew up with them. Um, their, their parents are my godparents. They, uh, their parents had a VHS, probably a bootleg set of eight man tapes. And it was a great show. It had that really stilted um, 
animation style, of course, in black and white that Speed Racer had, which was the US's first real taste of it, of, of anime. And, uh, but it also, it was a kid show, but because it was so old, it had like really off color things in it. Like the villains really liked to slap women around. Um, it just didn't, you know, it, it didn't, there was no filter for any of that stuff. Um, people died and were shot all the time. And at the end it was like, a, you know, ha ha ha, da, 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 freeze frame moment. Um, so it's interesting to see, and of course I didn't read the original manga, which I'm sure had bits of both of that, but also was probably if, if uh, other films or anything to go by a little more serious uh, total, you know, in the grand total. I'm sure it's all online. I'm sure you can go find it. You can certainly find the series online if you would like to check that out. But uh, this is definitely a product of the 90s. Um, the animation is slick. It's very bubblegum crisis. It's, uh, I, I think, Mandy, when we were talking about this beforehand, you mentioned Vampire Hunter D, the Madhouse Studios. It's, it's, I think it's well animated. Um, but it's a product of the 90s, especially in that everything is a little bit darker and more violent. But I'm not sure that the story is any more complex. Um, let's let's start with you, Mandy, since you brought up. Uh, what was your expectation going in, and how do you feel now that you've seen the series Eight Man After? Man, yeah, so it was just like a readjustment to um, just watching like the pacing of an anime and like the storytelling style. I think both of these films that we watched um, like very much uh, follow some of like the the mysterious non-linear storytelling um structures that a lot of animes follow um uh, yeah so i i guess i was kind of expecting that but i didn't really know what to expect like i i had this like vague sense of deja vu with the cover of eight man after and like went and looked at my vampire hunter d artwork and it's like oh it's kind of the same like tall skinny pale man carrying a woman like <laughs> over the threshold style um so it's definitely kind of like checked a lot of the boxes um, for me and what I remember from anime. Yeah, I think uh, AD Police from 90 is another one um, before Bubblegum Crisis. It's, it's sort of the prequel series. It's kind of another one you could compare to this um, because there are like cyborg uh, street gangs that are being augmented and and uh, being led by the brain of someone that yeah. might be from the original series. I guess that leads to one of my complaints about the film is that Eight Man After, Eight Man seems to have a rich history, mm -hmm. and I feel like it was expected that so much was already known about Eight Man, even though this was made forty years later mm -hmm. or thirty years later, that um, they didn't tell us. So when a character like a villain showed up, um, I didn't really understand the significance, and I would have yeah, liked that. I didn't really understand. Like I saw that they were numbered, and I was hoping they'd go into that a little bit more, but then I realized it was probably just. Um, from the previous uh, well, what's series. Interesting, what's interesting yeah. is it is. So in the original yeah. series, he's called Ape Man because he's yeah. the scientist's eighth attempt at creating, right. uh, you know, Mega Man, essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's interesting, though, is that this guy becomes the ninth man. But, mm -hmm. not, but I think they get around that because it's a, the original Ape Man body. Right. Um, and so you're kind of like, okay, well, why didn't you just call it Nine Man? Um, that would be mm. interesting. I don't know. Greg, what was your expectation going into Eight Man After, and how do you feel now that you've seen it? Um, I mean, I really had no expectations. I feel like with anime films, you, it's it's a grab bag. You don't know whether you're going to get stabbed in the hand or <laughs> just you don't know. Um, I, I, 
I wasn't too perturbed by the lack of explanation. I felt like this was really well self-contained. Um, I think my only gripe is the title. Um, it it means nothing to me, and it took me a, a, a little bit longer than I would have liked to be like, oh, okay, it's just this was the precursor to RoboCop. This is obviously like what they drew their inspiration from on some level. Yeah. I can't imagine they didn't. Um, but like it was fun enough. I kind of let myself get lost in it. Um, I thought the second half was a little slow, the same way I did with RoboCop, where after you kind of get over the interesting Bite bit, your tongue. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> after you get over the the interesting bits of you know watching this guy just kill people at breakneck speeds and kind of like the mystery of like oh like is he is he still a man? Is he a cyborg? It. Just this this movie, Eight Man After, becomes I think very serious, and that's when it started to kind of fall apart to me. I I wanted it to stay a little more edgy and funny the whole way through, and they're like, "Oh right, we have to grapple with the moral turpitude of of like killing." And I'm like, "I don't care. Just just have it break someone's neck. Like, come on." I I actually agree with that. The hyper violence in this was strong early on, and then it drops off as it goes, which is a shame because uh. uh I mean, I don't think it's a shock to anyone that I, I started and run a cult and classic podcast about film and I like a little bit of hyperviolence. Um, it's interesting that you say the the kind of funny edgy because it actually has some really great lines. We watched the English dub, which I thought was actually serviceable. Um, and there were some funny lines like we don't know who he is yet, but the private eye um, who becomes eight man after bursts in and like roughs up a guy at this, you know, uh, like technology company that's called like biotech technology or something generic like that and the guys like uh i assume by your the way you entered you're a police officer <laughs> all the all the cop jokes in this were just top notch like oh like only a detective would be that big of an asshole and you're like <laughs> okay it is and the the there's a so and this detective has a kid sidekick essentially who's uh, he has no mom and his dad is an ex-football player who quit because of an injury and is a drunk. And uh, the detective is ostensibly trying to help this kid find his dad. And um, and he's he I think he, his job is he's actually also trying to figure out where these weapons on the street, these augmented you know cyborgs are coming from. It's a little vague on that point. Um, but he ends up meeting the, the heroine, the love of the original eight man and who it's only been i think a year or something i don't think it's been that long since the original eight man left um and she, he sort of pulled a superman returns right like he jumps out and she's like wow you discovered you were the eight man at the same time i did and because of that you had to leave i don't know if that's true or not i don't i'm not familiar enough with the source material uh, but they tell us that and okay fine um and then she meets this guy and um somebody whoever's masterminding this at the time has him stabs him as she's trying to as he's trying to protect her and so she's like devastated twice right um and then he comes back and seems to be fine just distant and of course it's because we understand that he is eight man and there's this whole thing where at first he doesn't he acts to the scientist who created him that we don't get barely any of in this series he's kind of he's actually kind of a dick um i found like the scientist who's the dr light in the Mega Man universe who created him is like i was like well you can't have emotion because that's what screwed up the last one and you're it's gonna be your fault and he's like well i mean 
am I like a person? He's like, well, you shouldn't be if you want to do your job. <laughs> You're just like, he just, and, and he, he also, I didn't understand the look. He's like very seventies, like leaf uh, Erickson. Like, like he has a, a mustache, but no beard and like tussled, like yellow hair. Um, and, and just slacks. Like he doesn't even have a scientist robe on. I don't think most of the time. So you know that he's a main character. <laughs> right. Um, so, so I thought that that was, that was interesting and the humor did really work well and when eight man first shows up and starts just ripping apart these cyborg you know uh street thugs which again throw it to the 90s great to have all the street gangs like multi-ethnic um and 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 just unique and they all have different body parts like one guy's power is his knees fire missiles which seems super inconvenient but again i mean i guess when uh, a normal person doesn't have any knee missiles then He's he's at the advantage, but he, Eight Man rips him apart, and there's blood. Um, I was gonna and- say I did I did really like the street gang kind of subplot of like oh like the government and police are still trying to figure out like should we use these robot parts shouldn't we? Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the black market's like oh fuck it we'll test them who cares yeah. knee rockets cyclops eyes like whatever I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it leads for great action scenes. Like '90s anime is the true master of the cyberpunk street battle. Uh, it's like Shadowrun up in there. Jeffrey Tucker, what was your expectation going into Eight Men After, and how do you feel now that you've seen it? Uh, well, so I hadn't seen the you know the original series. I had never heard of it really. Um, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of boring, um, honestly. Uh, the um, I think to back to what Greg said, I, I think anime does this thing where it swaps between like two tones really well, like from comedy to like like ultra serious, like in the same series, sometimes even in like the same episode, usually they separate them and stuff. Um, but I think in this case, it, it uh, I just, I don't think that the serious bits aged well. Um, like you have things that are like going on at the same time in the early nineties, like data, in next gen i think is a really good variant and maybe in my opinion the best character of the last decade uh you know i'll write a novel about that someday um brent spiner we love you good job but um yeah so i they didn't they didn't really get into this kind of idea of what it means to be without emotions or what it means to be a person i it, it like um it maybe it maybe if if it was um if there hadn't been a lot of other things happening at the same time, I could give it credit, but there were so many better things um, uh, that existed. Um, so I, I thought it was just a little dull on that part. And the zany bits were fun, but um, I think that there was better animes that have like really kind of like cool that cyberpunk action. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think there are better and there are definitely worse, but I agree yeah. with you that the. I actually, and this speaks to Greg's point where the sort of humor goes away a little bit. When um, the detective becomes eight man, we kind of lose the most engaging character. Uh, And it's not really, it's not helpful because he no longer is able to give these like, you know, private dick jokes, these really off the cuff staccato rhythmed um, statements. He can't do it anymore because now he's supposed to be conflicted and emotionless, but he's also supposed to pretend to be a normal person still. Yeah. It just, it doesn't really work. Um, exactly, exactly. It, and, they didn't they didn't fully go down that path of like him fighting with his emotions mm-hmm. and they didn't really like allow 
to like just not do it like where he still has emotion is still interesting and they kind of did this thing they did they tried it once but they just did a surface level right when when he learns that his emotions because his seeing um the heroine in danger uh, uh basically they're at a football game because the kid thinks he sees his dad on this new revamped football team and of course it is his dad and he's like how could he play he's you know got this permanent damage well the entire football team has been augmented which by the way there's no explanation as to why anyone thought this was a good idea because everyone knows including the police that except for eight man everyone who's augmented has to take this dose of uh drug that makes them go crazier and crazier and so there's no there's no explanation as to why they thought this was a good idea but um but anyway, the players go crazy, start obliterating the other team and the people in the stands. Eight Man is there, obviously shows up. When he sees the heroine in distress, that's when his emotions take over. His eyes go red, and he just starts ripping apart everything. Well, there's that moment, which this is one of my pet peeves in film, anime and regular film, is when somebody's like, no, stop, you'll kill him. Or, or just like, what are you doing? It's because he starts ripping apart this football team of madmen. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, that's kind of his job is to stop these insane robots from murdering strangers. Like, that's his job. The fact that he's getting a little rough with it, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, but they go with that. Uh, and I think that that's the and that's the trigger where he's like, how come I have emotions if I do it? Or am I even a man anymore? Um, but we really just get that in the one scene. And then part of it. I think too, the reason they don't spend time on that, as you said, Jeff, is they have a lot of these other little pieces in there. A stronger point of them is that they actually do save that kid's dad. Uh, and he's given the drug that eight man gets, which keeps him from going crazy. Um, but apparently his body is still breaking down, which again, why augment at that point? But uh, and his dad gets this little redemption arc as he fights to save his son. And of course, he eventually dies because every, you know, uh, redemption hero has to die at the end somewhere if they're not the main character. Um, interesting thing about that, too. Uh, the kid and him, they're portrayed in the American dub as black people. I'm not sure that they were in the original, but it certainly worked. Um, and it was nice to see like black characters that weren't ridiculous uh stereotypes i mean they kind of are he's a football player but ridiculous stereotypes um or comedy relief characters just shouting gibberish you know barrett from final fantasy 7 kind of situation like it was nice to see that so i don't know if that was originally intended uh in the, in the japanese version um because of course there are many japanese characters as well as people who are just darker skinned uh, but it was nice. It was a it was a wise casting choice, um, I think, in the American dub. Um, but getting back to the point of why they don't show or really have a lot of conflict in Eight Man, which really could have been the centerpiece of this, they have this weird subplot where um, the the detective, the private eye, he doesn't like the cops because a, a group of dirty cops uh, murdered his sister in front of him. And turns out that the one remaining person that he didn't go on a murder spree afterward and kill is the lead bad guy who is like a the second most advanced cyborg after eight man. Um, so yeah, a lot of coincidences, but it's to be expected, I guess, in this kind of thing. But they spend a lot of time on that and we have flashbacks and it just didn't seem necessary to me because you could have already had the stakes with this new woman 
for him. Um, it didn't mm -hmm. have to be he's remembering this old murder. It's sort of, uh, it was streamlined in RoboCop, you know, where they just worked it all into one, you know, trauma, the trauma of his murder and so forth. Um, but Tad, what did you expect going into Eight Man After? And how do you feel now that you've watched it? I didn't know what to expect. I kind of looked at it and went, huh, this kind of looks like Mega Man. And I guess I kind of got some Mega Man. And then I watched it and got a lot of RoboCop, which we've already talked about. But I also got, um, once again, me nitpicking, I go, mm, so this is where they got some of the ideas for Deus Ex. All three of, well, four of the games at this point. Because, I mean, you know me, I love me some cyberpunk. And this is about this is pretty damn cyberpunk and also a, product, a clear product of the 90s because, let's face it, that drug is... An, uh, an analog to, to heroin. It's it's showing the heroin epidemic in a more cyberpunky way, but also it's it. I don't know that it was an inspiration, but it likely was an inspiration for the neuropazine drug in Deus Ex Three, because it, it has the same effect. Uh, you know, it's like people get game series. Yeah. Yes, people get hooked on it. Um, it doesn't have that that same like psychotic effect, but it basically ties those who get augmented to the companies who have given you the augmentations, essentially, as, as the game's theme is, making you a slave, which I guess this kind of gets into that theme, except it doesn't. They become slaves, but also crazy and uncontrollable. It doesn't really make much sense there. Yeah. Um, and of course, drug, like the, the idea of drug use and stimulant use and things um, for, for physical enhancement, but at what cost is a long running theme in cyberpunk. You can look at the works of, of course, Philip K. Dick and um, William Gibson. And that's been, that's, that's been touched on by many fantastic writers over the years. And so it is definitely, and I, I like your parallel with the heroin you know, epidemic, because that is very much especially when you're dealing with uh, a, a movie or, or work of fiction that has police involvement, you often go, and it's in the 90s, to heroin, of course, and then because that is the whole rise of SWAT and the idea of that sort of militarizing of the police force. And so that's definitely in here. Um, there's a couple of things. So I thought the animation was quite nice um, in this. I, it's very 90s, but again, that's kind of my favorite style. It's not choppy. It's clearly was meant to be a short run OAV series and not a long running series because it has a decent budget for what it looks like. It has a good pedigree of writer director team or, or a good pedigree writer director team behind it. Um, in fact, the uh, director uh, is, is Yorisawa Kogawa, uh, apologies for any mispronunciation, who um, directed uh, uh, Tessujin 28, the 2004 version, um, jo many episodes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is a phenomenally animated and directed series, if, if nobody's checked it out, from the long and still running uh, anime. So very, very strong director's presence. And then the, the writers um, are, uh, uh, are Jiro Kawata, who is actually... Uh, he actually died last year, July 2nd, 2020, but was writing all the way uh, up until like the, the mid 2010s. Uh, he was a writer on Batman, the Brave and the Bold in the US. And also you have um, Kazumasa Hirai, which is, uh, died in 2015, but worked as a writer on Harmageddon, which is considered one of the pinnacles of, of 
uh, 80s, 90s anime films where you can elevate uh, sort of that Katsuhiro Otomo Akira idea where you elevate the story to something of real literary value uh, and, and real visual art form. So you have a real strong pedigree behind this. And I think that it was important to do that because Eight Man was such a pivotal character in the history of manga and anime. And I like Eight Man After, but I think that it should have been given a new conceptual backbone because it ends up being, as you all have said, kind of a, a run-of-the-mill cyberpunk story instead of giving this... Because you look at the, the pedigree I just mentioned, those are really unique, intelligent, cerebral, um, edge envelope pushing uh, productions and eight man after is not um i wonder and of course not being japanese and not being privy to the sort of uh, ancestral feeling towards eight man i wonder if part of the holding back was because the idea of putting hyper violence like they did in eight man was already pushing an envelope to an extreme for them. If they were concerned that doing something really, like, we'll get to it, but like Go Shogun, Time of Tranger is a huge departure for that series. Um, and I, I think, I wonder if they were concerned, either them or the producers, that if we do that, it, it could be worse than a failure. It could be considered a blasphemy. Well, I mean, does does Eight Man After just fall into the the fucking doomed pit of dark and gritty reboot? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of I kind of think it does. Although I am as it's funny, dark and gritty reboots are super obnoxious at the time when you're a fanboy, but I feel like as they age, they become interesting side stories where you can kind of, it's like the what if series from Marvel, you know, you know the issue was gonna be super depressing. Like everything had to end terribly because Marvel couldn't have an alternate universe that was happier than one they had in their main comics. So their what if series was like, what if so-and-so didn't, what if Death's Head didn't die? And then you're like, oh, it's worse. It's the end of the world, cool. You know, what if Tony Stark stopped drinking? Oh, suicide, awesome. Like they had to be terrible and that's the whole concept behind the gritty reboot right like let's make it edgy and invest some new life in it uh no to me it felt a little like like fanfic yeah. oh she gets her romance back and i don't know like shenanigans enough let's to have a series end, right because right? I, I kind of was grateful for the end because you get this thing where the the eight man after um he's like okay well i I have to be like uh, level-headed, but I want to have a life. So me and the kid are going to go start a new life somewhere. And he opens a detective agency in like a tropical area, and um, which we get after like a long still shots of silence. If any animation failing was there, it was probably those weird still shots with music. Where I'm like, are the credits going to roll? Like what's, I'm just looking at beaches and cars and very little animation. Um, and then we get a scene of them in the detective's office and she's been left behind yet again right um and thank god they walk into the detective's office him and the kid and she's there like you need a secretary right um which by the way is a little questionable though because it's sort of sexist dish because in the beginning she's like are you a secretary and she's like no and she's like some you know middle middle manager worker like she's not the bottom of the barrel as far as the employment run goes and now she's a secretary um 
but she's also dressed kind of funny. It seems like it's a restart for her as well. Like they all need a, a new start because his life and his, his tragedy with his sisters behind them, the kid, his dad is dead and now is behind him. And she can finally move on from um, the original eight man. Right. Like it, I liked that ending. Actually. I thought that that was one of the stronger points of it. And so when uh, do we get uh, so when do we get eight Miami? The, the, the yeah, it was a total people. Miami Vice, total Miami Vice thing. And I, I think that, it again, leads to the idea that this is a very surface level reboot or, or soft reboot. Um, and also to the idea that it does not appear that there had intended to be a sequel to this, a direct sequel. And I guess I saw it as the exact opposite. I felt like they weren't closing the circle with this ending. And I'm like, okay, so something else happened. And to hear from you that like, no like there's no follow-up i'm like why why bother it um i also to your point i didn't think about this about the fact that yeah at the very beginning she is a lot more middle manager a lot more strong-willed and at the end she's like oh you want a secretary it Mm -hmm. reminds me of um that tomb raider reboot from not that long ago where throughout where that was kind of pitched as a little more serious um she i you know like kind of sobs after her first kill it was supposed to be a little more realistic but then the end of the film is she like i think holds up her two pistols and she's like who wants to go treasure hunting and it's it just felt where, where did this where did this change in the character yeah. happen well and let's and let's talk let's just my one sidetrack moment um the tomb raider reboot is of course also sort of coincided with square enix and crystal dynamics reboot yeah. of the series right which was a much more realistic like how did a, a a young woman become like this gunfighting you know soldier of fortune and i just want to say i did not enjoy that game because really? it's no i didn't because it's it's essentially uncharted which we have a movie starring tom holland being done right now um but it's uncharted but all they decide to do is beat the shit out of this woman who's your female lead for like what 16 hours 10 hours eight hours depending on how long you took and how many side bits you did all they do is beat her up the entire game and i'm like am i even playing a game or is this just is this a japanese game show like i don't even (laughs) understand like what i want so i i i i Go back and, 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 and take another look at that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I think, and I think the way they presented her at the end, like you need a secretary, it's supposed to, and she's in a different outfit for once. She's not dowdy. She has shorts on. Um, I think it's supposed to be that she's like, I can start a new life and be powerful. But then why didn't she say, you need a partner, right? You know what I mean? Like it just, I know that it's a callback to the secretary comment before, but that's a weird sort of, there's nothing wrong with being a secretary, but the way he said it in the beginning was sort of a demeaning moment um, that she corrects him on. And so to then use that moment as the, the ending callback is odd. You know, maybe bringing up that it's a, that it's a callback, maybe it's just a tonal failure and it's a little bit of a shortcoming of the director. I'm thinking about like Catherine's speech at the end of Taming of the Shrew and you can kind of take it as this tongue-in-cheek narrative of her like what is my duty to the husband? The woman does X, Y, and Z and it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. She doesn't mean it but you could also depending upon the tone be like oh like she is changed and Mm -hmm. yeah maybe at the end of Eight Men After it was meant to be a little more glib but it came off a little more preppy and excited to be a secretary and probably also it's because they're in like a miami-ish 
beach. Like yeah. It's, it's it, that, that didn't help. You know, the, the, the Hawaiian shirts aren't, aren't going to bring that attitude to a higher level. Um, I do want to touch on before we move to our wrap up here of this, I want to touch on my disappointment that the original eight man, his personality is essentially said to be obliterated. Um, we don't know the details, but the, the scientist tells um, the new eight man shortly after his, his creation is revealed that what happened to the original is that his emotions got the better of him. And that was his downfall. And then near the end, um, the bad Android wants to, or, or yeah, he's an Android, right? He wants to, uh, he wants to have, actually he's a, is he a cyborg? Cyborgs are not, are, cyborgs are part human, part robot, right? They're part biological. I think he's a cyborg trying to go Android. I think he was, <laughs> yeah, he was, he pretty much, remember his head popped off and he was still talking smack until, yeah. uh, that's true. So, okay. So, so, so anyway, the villain, he wants to try and transfer his brain into eight man because eight man is the only one that can exist by taking the special drug the scientists made and not deteriorate. So, but the thing is, is that whoever the mystery brain, that's the literally a brain in a jar who's helping the bad guys. Um, I can only assume it's a holdover from the original series. I wish they touched on it. Cause it would have been nice to, to get that without knowing the backstory, but is that, he sort of search, does a search it's like oh there's a name here for the original guy and they're like oh what is his memory there and he's like no just a name everything else is erased and i'm like that was such a huge missed opportunity because the idea i actually thought that at some point he would come through um and he would perhaps you know maybe the two would meld right like because this angry guy and this one's original love like it would be an interesting thing and it just seems like not only a missed opportunity but it seems like an avenue they thought about going down and then just shut off instead of saying maybe and moving on which would have left it more open but still fine and and maybe could have us oh i like that the idea that the story is going to continue they were like no no he's really gone and i'm like well then why even have the name like what you know what i mean like i just I didn't, at that point, I'm like, then why is this even a continuation of the story and not just a full-fledged reboot where they completely, you know, eradicate the, the end of the thing? Did anyone else have any thoughts on that? Crickets. Hard, hardcore not. separation from uh, the original stuff. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> New yeah, no, I was just disappointing because I always like having an older you know, like I, you know, it, people, it got mixed reviews and I understand why, but like Tron Legacy, which was stunningly beautiful and had an amazing soundtrack by Daft Punk that was an homage to the original in every way. Um, but like, it was really cool, uh, you know, to see the original pop out in the middle. Like you find out, oh, like, and you don't even get that much of him. It's basically a teaser. Um, but we, we see him and it's it's like, oh, everything coming together. It's, it's sort of like... Um, you know, uh, Yoda showing up and fighting Count Dooku in, you know, the Star Wars prequel. Like, it's just, it's a really important, or Boba Fett showing up in The Mandalorian. Um, by the way, if you guys want us to talk about The Mandalorian and all the, the spoilers and Easter eggs and all these things and what we can expect from season two, uh, excuse me, three, um, write in. Send us a message, uh, Classic Podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast or on Facebook.com slash Classic tell us what you want to hear we'll, we'll happy to talk about it we could certainly go on for an eternity about these things but 
It's interesting. I just thought it was an interesting thing that they were completely shutting off the old one. I also want to mention in the original series and the manga, um, Eight Man in this his his powers are basically super strength, super speed, uh, and you know what else do you need, right? Well, in the original, he has another power that takes a lot of precedence, which is he can take the form of other people. Um, he he's a more he can morph. Which sort of is they show in this one in the fact that he changes to Eight Man's visual from, or he changes to the the detective from Eight Man's visual because he's no longer actually in the body of the detective, right? Um, and in another time, uh, when the heroine thinks that he's Eight Man and he's pretending to be the detective, she asks him to show him her stomach because that's where he was supposed to have been stabbed, and he has a scar. And she's like, "Oh, I thought you were Eight Man," and then leaves, and then the scar goes away because it's so. But the idea is that's quite a big power to completely ignore and have nothing to do with the story. It, it was, a, and it was a more unique power in a way. I don't understand quite the idea of getting rid of it, um, which is interesting. Cause we'll talk a little bit about something kind of similar in go Shogun time of Tranger. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was interesting. Um, I'm not totally angry at it. Again, I actually like this series. It's totally watchable. It, it's like watching a movie. One thing I did really appreciate is that, this this eight man after collection where they just merged all four episodes it i really couldn't clearly delineate when the episodes ended or began if i did a little digging it, it's it, i'm sure it would be obvious especially with the time but it really felt more like a a long drama than a serial and that's kind of unusual because um especially when things are intended for tv um uh, tv play they're very delineated that's why even if you watch a lot of other OAV collections and I mean, even if you watch them as a single unit like they've marketed it as this unit you have these like essentially commercial break spots um, mm -hmm. and this did not have that so I thought that was quite interesting but we're going to go into recommendations here Tad would you recommend 8-Man After to someone and if so why uh, I'm going to pass on this one I wasn't particularly engrossed in it I think that's a lot due to the fact that because I never watched the original series, I had no investment in it. I went in basically going, who are these people and why do I care? Um, there were some definite gem moments that I appreciated. Um, I really wish they hadn't just glossed over the father's death. It was, it's, it's, a, it's also another typical anime trope that within five minutes of a loved one dying, someone's totally like, get in the car. All right, we're going on a road trip. That's not what happens in real life. You just yeah. lost your dad after you spent, how long did that kid spend bugging that detective? Help me find my dad. He finds his dad and then his dad's dead. And then he's like, well, okay, life goes on. Like, no, that doesn't happen. It's a little confusing though too, right? Because it almost seems like the kid never even knew his dad and only knows him from the photographs on the wall. They're never clear on that. No, um, but I'm pretty sure he knew his dad pretty well and his dad went missing and it was and yeah i got the, the way they point. play it's like, it but it doesn't sound like it's the way they explain it is interesting i agree though yeah it's it was, a, it's a, it was those were great i, I, I kind of took it as like parents are their kids heroes like they kind of see yeah like the superhero part of you and, and his dad was uh yeah was apparently a very successful famous athlete right. right before his fall from grace right um yeah so so do you have an alternative that you'd recommend Perhaps another oh. 90s cyberpunk gem. You know what? I can't think of one right now because I, well, I want to stick to the anime world, which as you guys know, I kind of fell out of after high school. <laughs> I kind of dropped it. Um, 
I you could always just watch the Mega Man TV series, which I thought was pretty badass back in the day. It's interesting. Although <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call that show out for Mega Man's uh, Robo Sister role being given a vacuum cleaner instead of a gun for a hand because that was her job, uh, which is expressly uh, expressly shared in the series. That was an interesting touch. Uh, but we love us some Mega oh, Man. Oh, the 90s. And any listeners who haven't uh, listened to our, our video game fan film episode, uh, we talked about the 2010 uh, CGI and real life actor conglomerate film Mega Man. Uh, go watch that. That's an interesting one that uh, we'll never see uh, official distribution, I imagine. And it's totally worth hunting down. Okay, Jeff, who would you recommend Amen After 2 or would you and why? Um, I think I'm guessing that fans of the original series might like it. I don't know. You seem to like it. Um, but I think if you want, if you want a character that's struggling with like, you know, uh, being a, um, you know, the superhero, but also struggling with the idea of killing villains, you know, watch Trigun, like go, they do it way better in that. It's more interesting. Uh, in this, in, in like the villains are formidable. So the the episodes are, are far more engrossing and interesting. Um, if you want um, something that's like kind of cyberpunky, um, uh, I'm actually having a hard time thinking of something, but I'm sure there's uh, some other options out there that uh, would get I you think there. the big one that most people would say right off the bat is, is Ghost in a Shell. Watch the Ghost mm-hmm. in a Shell series. Yeah, that's... Uh, the movie, of course, as well, For not sure. the American version, but those are sort of iconic science. They, they lean almost a little more towards science fiction because of the elevated state of, um, of uh, the work uh, and, and Musumi Shiro's artwork and design, but it's, it's, it's cyberpunk distinctly. And they have very intelligent plots as well. Sometimes an entire episode is essentially talking, but I didn't mind. It's very smart and, and uh, wit, done with wit. Greg, would you recommend Eight Men After? Uh, and if so, why? Um, it, it's it's a middling middle. Um, I if you're if you're really into anime films, like if you just you eat them up and you need a new one that you've never seen, here you go. Um, I I would probably take a pass on it though. Um, I, I mean, I'm gonna be shameless and say watch Astro Boy. <laughs> It, it, it's consistent throughout. You might not like it, but you know what? It's going to keep a very specific tone the whole way through. Um, and you're as, talking about the 3D animated movie from the Yeah, the album. 3D animated uh, Nick, Nick Cage uh, cinematic masterpiece. Um, <laughs> what and, surprise, Greg? <laughs> um, but for something a little more mainstream, um, just go watch an episode of Cowboy Bebop. You know what? They're all self-contained little vignettes, and they're amazing. Um, and you get a nice wrap-up at the end. I like the ending of that series as well. Yeah, yeah. That's a. I think that's that's fair. And uh, Mandy, how about you? Would you recommend Amen After to someone? And if so, or not, why? Um, I would not. Um, this was a kind of big yawn. It was just. It felt very generic. Not really a standout. Like if you are going to go back and spend some time watching classic anime. There's a lot of better ones to choose from, as I've already mentioned. Not, no disrespect, Nate. It was nice. Like I said, it felt yeah. revisit my youth to watch these, but um, there wasn't a lot that really stood out about this one. Yeah, I so I'm going to say, I, I think those are all fair critiques of Eight Men After. Um, I, I, it's, it's right in the middle. Um, but I want to, for my part, say, I also think that it's in the middle uh, and not the bottom. <laughs> Um, there's oh, yeah. a lot on the bottom. And I think 
part of why I would recommend this depending on the, the viewer or listener is because um, like, like Jeff mentioned, like, like I mentioned with Ghost in a Shell, uh, like Greg mentioned, those are series and we have been at sort of a, a lack in the United States there and in Japan, there's less, but of course, Japan has many more than we do of, of self-contained movie length anime experiences these days. Um, I mean, if you want to get into something like One Piece or Naruto, you have hundreds of episodes and not that you have to watch them. But um, even a show like Inuyasha, which you can get through, it's a long show. Uh, and those things, you know, um, it doesn't mean they're not good, but do you really have the time or the will to dedicate hundreds of hours of viewing to get the story? Don't know about that. Um, and, and so when you get something like this, it's like you get lots of the good bits that you like from anime, like the hyper-violence in this case, um, the kind of very strongly cell shaded pre-cell shaded visuals um and and you don't have to worry about you know catching up on season 16 or something uh, or if you're purchasing it if you like good old classic media like i do you don't have to get like oh look i found season six part two Okay, you know, so I, I think that that's that's interesting to look at. I do think there are better. Um, I think AD Police, as I mentioned before, it's also an OAV series. I think it's better. Um, and then if you How like about it, uh, Pokemon the movie, I choose you. Um, that was a pretty good. Uh, you know what? We're actually going to talk about we're going to talk about Pokemon <laughs> in a minute when we talk about the next film. Uh, but yeah, those are interesting. Um, I'm not okay. You know, all right, we're going to end this part. And uh, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about 1985's Go Shogun Time Atranger. And yes, I am saying Atranger, not Stranger, although some translations say Stranger. The actual name is Atranger. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line these are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes. So you can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like uh, extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Colton Classic Podcast and inspired by our episodes. They, you can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for ColtonClassicPodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, 
and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus, there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you are supporting Colton Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Colton Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. All right, and we are back, and this time we're going to be discussing 1985's uh, theatrical release, Go Shogun Time Atranger. Now, of course, this is our anime episode, so like uh, Eight Man After, this is an anime film. This is actually a film, uh, as opposed to a, a short series of episodes that amounts to the time of a film. As and... opposed to a seeming pile of trash. Oh, heart. <laughs> yes, that is true. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about this. Uh, I mentioned that we would mention Pokemon here, and that is because uh, the, the writer and director of this film are most well-known for Pokemon, particularly the movies. Um, the director directed Pokemon, the first movie, as well as uh, Pokemon 3, <sighs> Pokemon Monster, so many Pokemon things. Um, and, and, uh, and that's Takeshi Shudo. And then uh, that was the, the writer. And then the director is Kunihiko Yuyama. Uh, Yuyama, excuse me. And he also did uh, the, the original Go Shogun series, which this is a continuation of, as well as Pokemon, and an interesting 3D animated film from 2016 called Rudolph the Black Cat, which I think you guys should check out. And both of them have worked on lots of uh, animes as well, including Ushio and Tora in 98. Um, but let's face it, they got on Pokemon, and after Pokemon started, that has been their world uh, because it is massively popular and all that jazz. So this film is 1985. The original series actually ran uh, starting in 81 and ran for 26 episodes, which uh, I believe was actually just one season, but it was fairly well received and liked. Um, and to describe the series, it's an episodic kid show, um, but sort of the, 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 you know, the tween era kid show. Uh, and I would describe it thusly. It is as though you took um the a-team and replaced all of the characters with different gi joes and then you took those gi joes and you gave them voltron the giant transforming robot that is exactly what this series is and if that sounds interesting to you then you might be related to me because that's fucking cool um <clears throat> so what do you have you have uh, uh futuristic setting uh, sort of near future futuristic setting where there's space travel there's giant robots and there are is a a wildly differing crew of crazies including a big blue guy that's the muscle uh, a, a very foppish samurai who is super gay and i mean that in a great way he's a great character but i mean he he says he wants to die in a vat of bread wine and during one of the fist fight scenes he just steps over and starts playing the hell out of a piano um very very foppish gentleman and and then of course you have the the han solo character and you have the leader who is the strong arm gun toting guy so 
we'll get to those. <clears throat> and then you have Remy, who is uh, the female in the group, as there's always one in this sort of uh, cartoon show. And this movie centers almost completely around her, which I think is a fascinating choice. And there's some other fascinating choices in this movie. Um, like I said, this movie came out a few years after the series ended. And it is decidedly adult. Um, this film really, really, really does not speak to kids' palates at all. They, whereas Eight Men After sort of tried to be careful, I think, and, and sort of just push some, some edginess and some 90s Punisher-esque violence into uh, a, a, a previously, you know, sort of kid show or and just a show of an older generation with older sensibilities. Um, Shogun, Go Shogun Time a Stranger really went all out with, with some existential shit. Uh, it's, it's, it's a radical experience. And, um, and the first radical change is that there are no robots. There are zero giant robots in this. Um, it is actually taking place after the robots are kind of like decommissioned, we assume. Um, we don't really know exactly uh, how long after the series ends that, that this film takes place. Um, but what it does do is it splices two, actually three particular different moments in time together. And we see them overlapping at times and inter, you know, cutting in between each other. Um, the contemporary one is that it's been 40 years since um, the Go Shogun team has stopped being a team. Uh, and they've all gone their separate ways. And Remy, who we do not see her face at this age, is uh, trying desperately to get to a meeting with uh, the, the, the two um, straight men of her group. And we don't exactly know why at first. Um, and she ends up sort of being stuck behind a police blockade as three uh, vehicles of gold thieves with hostages are, are being pursued on the highway. Well, she blows through them because she wants to get there on time. Uh, saves the hostages, obliterates the other cars, and then swerves off of uh, an overpass and into a building, actually into the street below next to a building, uh, to avoid a pigeon. Very interesting moment. Um, so she is in a coma, and all of the group um, from their various different places hear about it, and they sort of coalesce around her as she is in this coma. And turns out, probably the reason for the meeting, she has some form of, it sounds like, cancer. Uh, that, that is essentially going to kill her uh, if the wounds she's received in this crash don't. And they're like, there is a procedure that could save her. I don't know what that would be, but again, this is the future. But she's only like a 5% chance. Uh, and by the way, we're not talking to that other hospital where the specialist is at, so it's not going to happen. Well, they threaten the doctor's life and, and get another member of their team together who happens to be the Surgeon General. Don't know how that happens either. Uh, to, to come over and they get the specialist and they're like, well, she has a 1% chance of coming out of this alive. So essentially she's, they keep telling her she's gonna die. In between this sort of framing story, we get what makes up the bulk of the movie, which is a tale, uh, I assume shortly after or potentially late in the series where they're stuck on a planet. You don't know anything about why or where they're stuck there, but they, have, they don't have their, their jets or, or robot. And the planet is a harsh desert planet, and they come across a city that's a very sort of Arabian, um, you know, Eastern, Middle Eastern vibe city. And in this city is where the bulk of the movie takes place. 
and they are um, staying in this hotel, this sort of Moroccanish hotel. And all of a sudden they get letters, each of them in their own rooms with pictures of themselves dying, being murdered in horrible ways. And, uh, and they say, you're going to die in a certain number of days. Each one gets a different day. And Remy says two days and then someone else is three, four, so on. Uh, and the pictures of course would be disturbing, but then I like the characters are sort of like, ah, oh, hell, we, we almost die every day. I'm going to take a shower. Uh, and she goes in and the shower is spewing blood. So I really like this moment. Instead of being like, holy hell, what the hell's going on? Rebby grabs her, her 357 and runs down to the clerk and says, where the hell's the water here? And goes to the roof to find the water. Well, they've all gone up there. It's not the water. Who knows what's happening? Well, there's this little witch and a demon cat that she rides on who show up. And basically, they're like the harbinger of doom. Every night they spend at the hotel, she's like, you're going to die. Um, and uh, and she's creepy, and it's weird, and they can't seem to shoot her. So I guess whatever. But they try and leave the city. They can't leave the city. They try and, and leave the hotel. They end up having to go back to the hotel. So basically, everybody in this city worships this cathedral at the center of town this sort of robotic looking cathedral they're like well we have to make a mad dash and destroy the cathedral i know this sounds complicated it is a complicated movie actually uh in my view it, it took a while um so they end up making this mad dash they destroy the cathedral in the center turns out that cat appears to be some sort of being that pretends to be fate and is sort of feeds on people who show up there by by killing them in a certain number of days and they she remy ends up defeating this um this giant cat in sort of an interesting poeticish way and then they're left on just like this plane of of graveyard uh and and the idea is that she has overcome fate and bad chances bad odds before we also get a little bit of her as a child with her really I think well done, but tragic backstory, right? She doesn't have a dad. Her mother is a prostitute and shortly dies after giving her money for the very first time. And then she sort of, we can only assume that kids are cruel like their parents. And uh, Remy as a girl is tortured by the local town's kids who are trying to get her to, to undress at like 11 or something, Ooh. but, or nine. Um, do we get this great scene though, where the kids are holding out bills to us like come on take off your dress ha 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 remy's gonna strip for us and you see her start to take off her belt and then she turns around and she's wrapped it around her fist and she beats the snot out of all the kids and takes their money um but she ends up falling in a hole and essentially her inner saboteur is telling her you're gonna die this is fate you're gonna die here nobody cares and then she gets this sort of ephemeral glimpses of her future friends as kids saying if you survive we might meet we might not, but we might meet. I don't know how much more Japanese you can get than that, but it's pretty Japanese. Um, and so all of these moments, her overcoming this giant demon fake cat and her uh, climbing out of this hole to potentially meet friends in the future and all of her friends gathered around her side at the hospital coalesce to the end where, uh, spoiler alert, but I mean, it's not really a spoiler. Uh, she wakes up against all odds when they're leaving and then they're all leaving out the front of the hospital, her friends, and they turn around and see Remy. And this is the first time we see Remy in the current timeline that's 40 years later after the end of their Go Shogun days. 
and we don't actually see her. We see her as she as a young woman. Uh, and then all and they're like, she's beautiful. And all of them become their younger selves. And they walk off into sort of a fade um, with the classic theme song, which is a pretty, pretty great theme song um, behind them. So you can only imagine this is a hella high level intellectualized experimental plot to give a kid's show about a bunch of goofballs fighting monsters in a giant robot. So, and it's from the same writers and same directors. So, and it's all centered around Remy. We never get firsthand accounts of any of the other characters. Um, it is female centric. And I, there's just so many things that make this a unique film in that sense, uh, in anime, especially. So now that you got even the loosest understanding of the plot and the fact that there are no big robots, I want to go to you guys. Jeff, let's start with you. What was your expectation of Ghost Shogun, Time of Tranger? And how do you feel now that you've seen it? Well, first of all, you told us it was Voltron-esque in, 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 in your little spiel. So I was expecting some big robots at some point. But like the only, the only robots we saw see is like in like a, a museum, I guess, or something. And like in the, uh, like as like a hanging ornament in a car. <laughs> Those are the only right. robots in the entire film. That's right. Um, and uh, I also watched this movie entirely in Japanese um, due to a issue with <laughs> the video that was so, provided. So to just us. to clarify for everyone, I accidentally shared our review copy without the English subtitles. The rest of us watched the subtitle films. Now I want to explain to you why. Jeff's problem makes sense because although he's an electrical engineer with a great deal of technological experience, he lives in a grass hut in the woods and has his review films dropped via carrier pigeon. Yes. So he has no access to the internet except when he hobbles into the local internet cafe to record these. So Which is no also way. a hut. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This there's is New no Hampshire. It's definitely a hut. No, I, I'm teasing. It was certainly my fault, but I think it's interesting that you watch that now. Well, now I, I only had a time, like I only had like an hour and a half to watch it. I know, I know. And the I, show was later that day, so I was just like, "All right, well, we're well, going with it." So, so I, I, I do, I do understand. It was definitely, <laughs> definitely host Nate's fault. But um, I think it's interesting. How much did you understand watching only the the the, the visuals without dialogue? You could understand. Well, I don't think I understood, like, the personalities of any of the characters. Um, I think I got a pretty good, like, read on all of the plot points. I think I understood everything that was going on. And, like, uh, I, I think maybe even I was watching a little more closely than I, uh, I, I maybe would have if I had had dialogue. You know, I was, ne I was never looking at my phone or, you know, doing, doing other or thinking about other things. I was, you know, fixated trying and to like, figure out what Japanese. the plot was. Hmm? And now you can speak Japanese. Yeah, I can. I speak Japanese fluently now. It's uh, you know, it's impressive. No big deal. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was like it was kind of like solving a puzzle. Uh, I I knew I was missing some of the clues, um, and uh, it it had that kind of surreal, uh, very clearly abstract elements going on that, um, you know, nerds like me have a fun time trying to figure out what. You know, piece piece together what they mean and and what um, uh, what the what the actual story is. Um, yeah, 
I also had never seen the show. So like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know any of the characters names. You know, there's this like kind of wacky guy with a parrot and I'm just like, all right, well, clearly it's he's a raven. A funny guy. It's a raven. Yeah. His name is, um, his name is what? Kaka Crowley or something like that. Um, I should know the names, but of course they're, they're sort of anglicized depending on where you look. Um, Remy is the, uh, the lead female. And uh, uh, then there's Shingo, Killy, uh, those are the two, the leader, and then the Han Solo-esque guy. Then there's Bundle, who is the samurai. Um, and and so you get, and by the way, this movie has been dubbed into the U.S. twice. Um, so if you watch a dub, they're wildly different experiences. There's a 96 dub and then a 2003 dub. Um, I actually, normally I'm okay with dubs, frankly, unless the script is super poorly done. Um, but the subtitles in this I actually thought were pretty solid. So uh, I, that's not true. There were moments when the subtitles were a little wonky and I'm gonna share that. Uh, the scene, like when Remy runs down to see where the water is and she points the gun at the desk clerk, my assumption is she's saying like, do you control the water? Where's it come from? Because it looks like a threatening movement. But in the, the subtitle, the dialogue is something like, um, I don't mean to frighten you, mister who i'm showing a gun in their face but where does your water come from that was a little odd so it's not perfect but it was serviceable and it also had interesting um uh i don't know if this was a fan translation or not i i had to search the subtitles after because i i don't have a physical disc anymore unfortunately but uh the it gave a little note like at one point she makes a joke about his about um bundle's name sounding like japanese uh for for basically like plunder or bungle something like that and uh and it gave us a little footnote so they they put their due diligence in this um but it's interesting it's sort of a a testament i think to the way that it was cut together these in, these different stories that you without the language knowledge actually were able to piece together oh this is her from different times um because it isn't obvious right away uh, to us as as viewers, I don't think like because in the contemporary time we never see Remy's face. Um, it, it's sort of an interesting. It's just I feel like the choices whether whether audiences like it or not were very well thought out and purposefully decided um, choices. Um, let's go to Greg. Greg, what were you expecting going into this film, and what was your thought after you've seen it? Well, I mean, with um, Eight Man After as well, like I said, um, you know, I kind of went in naked, just kind of ready for whatever these films brought. Um, everything I think most of you had to say about Eight Man After feeling kind of like you were missing some context. That's how I felt about Ghost Shogun. Um, I, I couldn't quite pick up kind of who these people were the fact that they had a giant robot at one point, even though you put it in the little email to us, I, I didn't remember that at all. So I'm like, did, did they just go around shooting people and they have a museum to all the, all the people they shot and they got like a medal for just, just blowing people away. Like that's, that's kind of neat, I guess. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you brought up the ending where like she wakes up and I was like, okay, like it's this vague, it did did she die or didn't she and it's a dream and it just it felt really contrived to me the whole way through i wasn't about it um i think even though it was a female-centric film um i felt like they didn't 
try anything interesting with her. They just kind of gave her this tragic background, like marred with sexual misconduct, more or less, and decided that that equaled character growth for this woman lead. And yeah, I, 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 I fell apart after that. I was like, okay, <laughs> like I think that's the risk tackling something like this because it's one of those double-edged swords when you when when you tackle um especially things like like sexual harassment or assault or things in these movies which is uh, or any movie or book which is uh it happens to women especially of course that happens to men too but vastly more often happens to women um so you're like okay it's realistic that bad things happen to women is it exploitative the way we're portraying it and it's really hard, I think, to walk that fine line. Um, and this one. And see, I I didn't think it was exploitative how they did it. I just thought it was lazy. I just thought it was really lazy. Well, so here's one thing I actually really loved about her arc, which is, um, one, she's never the damsel in distress. Even when she's like needs saving, she's not like help. It's just not. That's not her character. Um, but there's this thing in the in. Actually, Eight Men After also had the the woman sort of like staring out of a window into the darkness, like mournfully. We get Remy staring out of the window over this, you know, alien city, which we need to talk about as well. Um, this alien city, um, and she's always fondling this locket that has no picture in it. And she mentions it several times. And we get a little inkling that, okay, she's the one woman in this group, and there are several eligible men in this group. And there's they, they each have their little like... Um, like sexual tensions, uh, which we don't really get a lot of, except for the fact that at some point when the first night they're there, she's like, company, is somebody at the door? Is it, and it goes through all of the men, like it could be any of them, right? And essentially it's seeming like she's welcoming it. Like I'm gonna, any one of these men, I'm, I'm happy to have a relationship with because she presumably wants someone in her locket, right? Well, before the final battle at the cathedral, which is potentially a suicide run, right? Um, she counts her remaining bullets for her gun and she has seven. She loads six in because it's a six shooter, 357 looks like, and she has one left. And then she gets an idea and she takes the locket off, leaves the locket on the table and wraps uh, the, the necklace around the bolt of the, of, the, of the bullet. And she's like, I hate to waste it. And it was this really cool moment because I was like, oh, this is the moment where she's like, I don't, this is not me. I don't need, or, or really, if it happens, it happens, but I don't need someone in my locket. This is me. This is how I do things is with this gun because that's her thing. And she's mentioned it in the, in the show, you know, like this is, I'm used to it. It's a heavy gun, but I'm used to it. Um, and that's the moment that she chooses. This is what I'm taking with me if I'm going to die, not an empty locket. Uh, and I thought that was a really neat touch because, and of course that's the bullet that ends up saving them all. Right. Um, and it sort of was a very literary way to show that decision. It's not so much a change prompted by plot, but it's decision prompted by the hero, which is something that, you know, I'm not I'm not reading Harry Potter for filth or anything, but Harry Potter never has. Right. The 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 uh, and so many plot driven things don't have, which is the ultimate change was a character decision that fell within her, you know, with believable behavior versus the direct uh, result of circumstance. 
And so, um, and I really liked that moment. And I think you could have had the same film without that moment, but it would have lost a lot of meaning. And if you, and if I, if, and if I hadn't paid attention, I would have missed that. And I liked that moment. Um, I will say, I mean, outside of the film, like there were a lot of moments that, like you said, I think were really solid. Um, the, her beating up the three young boys <laughs> in her childhood, that was great. The the fight scene with the samurai playing piano, I thought that was one of the best fantastic. fight scenes I've seen in a, in the, a film, period. The choreography was realistic and fantastic. And the score, the score like really sells it. It's a great piano medley. Yeah. And then, you know, it ends with, with this bit of a guy crashing into the piano and he stands up and he's like, oh, like that could have used, like that was the perfect moment. The song needed a little forte or whatever. Yeah, and it like, was so good. And they actually, I want to mention the soundtrack too. Um, so as I said, there's a theme song to uh, uh, Go Shogun, the series. Um, and, and this one sort of uses an orchestral like uh, version of it. Um, but also I thought the soundtrack in general for this film was moody, but quite brilliant. It's very 80s. Um, it's but it, it, it's like like the scene when she's trying to find out why there's blood coming out of the faucet. It's got this like dinosaur junior like tribalism, but with like this gutter like uh, uh, over and over again. It just was a really unique soundtrack. And I, I hope to find that if anybody out there, uh, any of our Japanese listeners, I know you're out there. If you know this, help me out. Uh, help brother out. I want to I get that. But I thought it was good. Um, and I agree that the scene choices were quite good. And it's it felt in like that bar fight it felt heavily like they were giving fans of the show a nostalgia moment to really enjoy the characters again that maybe isn't as strong for us as viewers because we don't have that who haven't seen the series we don't have that subtext behind it but are still very entertaining and very well directed um i want to take this quick moment before we move on to to ask tad what he thinks um, you'll see this if you're watching the video here on YouTube, but this is uh, a VHS I have of Macron one. And, uh, this is, this is the English dub that came out, uh, for, um, for the show go Shogun. It did hit the, the American shores, uh, in a, an edited version with of course a rewritten script. Uh, but most things are, are pretty close. It was part of the just for kids. Um, which was part of the same uh, TV block and release series that did uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and things like that. I think this particular tape is yeah, from 86. So uh, it, they're fascinating to find. You also get, if you find these tapes, like the worst American like crayon color pencil renditions of the characters. <laughs> it's super fantastic. Um, but it's an interesting show. To be honest, I'd never watched that tape uh, until we watched this movie. And I was like, oh, I, I personally enjoy this. I want to see what this is about. And it's a fun, it's exactly what I said. It's A-Team starring G.I. Joe with Voltron. So good on them. Moving on, Tad. What did you expect from Ghost Shogun, Time of Stranger? And a stranger, excuse me. And uh, what is your takeaway now that you've seen it? I, this was another, I didn't know what to expect, although I did look at the art style. And uh, if I'm, is this from the same studio that did like Harlock and Queen Emeralda? I was wondering the same thing. I actually don't know, but it is a very- um, It's distinct. It's very yes. distinct. And it's, and it's, and it, like you said, Harlock, I mean, it, I, I love it. Um, I, I would have to pull the author's name uh, who does the manga, but yeah, it's very much, if you like that style, like I do, um, super popular in the eighties, obviously. Uh, then you'll like this one. So this, um, 
definitely cerebral. Um, it was one of those things within the first, uh, I think the first 30 minutes dragged for me because it was me sitting back going, I don't, it's the same problem I had with eight man. I don't know these characters. Why do I care? But then that past that 30 minute mark, all of a sudden everything kind of ramped up. Like I got it. I was like, the, the chase scene was kind of interesting. Sure. And I was like, okay, she's, she's, she's uh she's a troublemaker she she's she's a vet basically she doesn't give a shit about like i, I don't care that the cops are blocking this off i've got places to be i'm gonna go it's like if, if you're if you're in a you know your your occupation is literally you could die at any moment what the fuck is a traffic jam like who cares about a traffic jam no i'm right. gonna i'm gonna pedal it um so i instantly kind of enjoyed her character right off I, I love uh, give no fucks characters. It's always great for cyberpunk sci-fi kind of kind of stories. Um, the more that I got into it, the more interested and invested I got in these characters. And well, I, I guess mostly Remy because the rest of them did got nothing except one of them is uh, is an angry brute. One of them uh, is a samurai who's very samurai. One of them is uh, is a total shyster. It, they and they don't really deviate from that those character traits either like they drive those character traits hard remy's the only one that seems to have any depth and I share this too i didn't know this for the longest time but of course now i, I should as a shakespearean scholar uh shyster is actually a, an, an anti-semitic term so i apologize i've used it in the past um and i think a lot of people still use it in fact i think i read it uh in like a cnn transcript the other day so but let's move away from it I don't know what we can use instead. Certainly nothing about gypsies, but, um, but yeah, but no, exactly. Like one of them is like the skeezy, like con man, um, who's the true capitalist. Right. Um, can we talk too quickly? I, I know I interrupted you, but about like the little bits we get of their like jobs in the future, like the big angry blue guy, um, is, he owns a fried chicken empire is that I know, what i understand that, that that's fucking hilarious it is like i'm like did anchorman 2 take from this movie is that true you know <laughs> chicken of the caves um anyway uh yes so you got more invested and and like you said and greg said it too and i think even like remy is the center here all the other characters are simply to sort of admire and hoist up remy which is very interesting but I mean, she, she does earn it. She yeah. earns a lot of what, what she, like she turned down a friggin' award. I know. Like that, that I was like, that's pretty badass. That was the touch. Essentially she turned down like the medal of honor, right? Like it's, yeah. um, so we find out in the future, like she's in the hospital and they're like, uh, the doctor's like talking to a mil like a policeman or something who brought her in. Uh, and he's like, well, uh, so does she have any money? And she's like, no, nothing. It's like, well, she has insurance though, right? And he's like, no. She's oh. like, she won the, it's like galactic space medal or whatever. Um, turned like, it down. And, like, and she goes, he, she turned it down. So she turned down all the benefits. And you never, it's like, you don't know why, but it's just this sort of all or nothing, fly by the seat of your pants. Um, I started with nothing and I, I pulled myself up. I'm going to do that. And it just gives you these touches of the character throughout that really do build as you see her then make action. And it, it never, she, she definitely strikes me as that character where she was never going to be comfortable because she knew she could die at any moment. So it's like, why I, I'm not going to invest in stuff. Like there's no point in benefits. There's no point in the money. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And 
who knows what, how it's going to turn out. The, the whole movie, I mean, I'm sure it can be interpreted in many ways, but I interpreted it as the entire sequence on that alien planet was simply her brain reconciling her death, her imminent death and trying to figure out a way around it. Um, I, I drew a parallel and I don't think that parallel makes sense anymore the more we talked about it, but she drove herself off a highway because she tried to avoid hurting an animal. And it almost seems symbolic that her, the manifestation of her specter of death was a giant cat. Something that if she really loves animals, she wouldn't want to hurt, even though it's trying to kill her. And in fact, in one of the visions, which I thought was totally badass, that she has to watch herself get eaten alive by a giant cat. I'm like, wow, this thing is hardcore. Yeah, let's talk about those visions because they're really upsetting, right? Um, especially if you were a kid watching the series. I mean, is, they're very, there's two of them. The first one is uh, horrifying is we, she's, uh, the, the pictures are of her getting chased and then uh, raped and beaten to death by a mob from the town, like the entire town, like hundreds of people. Um, and then the the second one is when the cat's eating her, which has very sexual overtones, very much the um, the the wolf sex scene from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, where where she's covered in blood with her head hanging over the edge of the bed, and the the giant cat rips open her blouse and starts eating her, um, uh, like physically eating her organs, and um, and she's forced to watch, and it's sort of they're they're terrifying, right? Um, and it's interesting. I liked the progression where even though she's a very strong character, she at first she's like, screw you. Like these pictures are not going to scare me. Um, but she does. They do start to affect her. Right. Like um, as she gets on and she starts seeing the things from her visions uh, later on, like the, the red threads wrapped around, you know, I don't know if they're I don't know what they're hanging across the, the streets, but um, they're from the photographs. And uh, and I, I think that I like your your interpretation which i think is very valid and very possibly true which is this mission that they're on is completely in her head because not only does it parallel her her life death but we don't understand any of the backstory to the situation why are they on this planet um she opens by herself being like where am i what the hell is this firing a gun and then her friends find her right almost like being in a void and then having visions or like it just it's never and there's nothing beyond the city right like they keep trying to it, this cabin in the woods moment where they try and escape and they hit the you know uh chris hemsworth hits the big force field and falls to his death in the heroic moment like it, they go out and they just reappear inside they can't leave the city um and they're like oh. the the police of the city are like the only way you get out is when the fate decides you're ready for the graveyard over there yeah it's uh it's almost a commentary on PTSD. Like even, even in a child giant robot show, there's no way that you walk away from a life like that unscarred. Like these are all scarred people. I mean, one of them like took, took up smoking because after the, after basically their war was over, he's like, well, there's no reason for me to not smoke right now. <laughs> so they're all struggling with something. Yeah. And she's I mean, struggling and, and hard. Yeah. And the, the, the Han Solo guy is struggling with the fact that he has a bright blonde mustache in the future. Like that's some hardcore shit. Um, yeah, so no. porn. It, yeah, very porn. Yeah. So I don't, um, I agree. I think that, you know, it could have gone, it could go either way. It could have been a real happenstance and it could have not. Um, there's some other things I want to touch on, but let's, let's head on Mandy. What did you expect from Go Shogun time of changer? And what did you think now that you've seen it? I can't hear you at all, ma'am. 
guys, the big twist in, in oh. this show, the big twist is that Mandy doesn't actually exist. Uh, don't. We just they keep we, disappearing. That time I took myself my off. I took myself off mute, but my little like headphone button had somehow gotten double started. muted. Double muted. Double muted. Ah, get out, with Double muted. So, um, yeah. So I went into this one, no expectations, not really knowing, um, the series or what no. You expected history. big robots. Don't you dare not. Lie. I don't read Nate's <laughs> emails. I just click the links. Like it's it true. Is, they, so no why would I listen to my him? emails? Uh, no. you know. Right. Check our sponsorship um, list for that. We're right. literate over in my grass hut here. I don't know what's wrong with all you people. <laughs> yeah. So I can read it. I just don't. So um, people have mentioned on both of these that they start out slow. We don't really know what's going on. Um in in both cases because these are like sequels or like soft boots or whatever um uh, i think there's like the sense of like oh we should know more about that but i got kind of the opposite i'm like oh this is just anime like this is just like the sense that i got from like all kinds of anime that i used to watch is that like it's just the structure of the story they are not going to tell you what's going on for like at least the first third if not until the last five minutes of whatever it is <laughs> you're watching it's a hundred series uh hundred episodes in a series or if it's just like a movie that's an hour and a half long like it's just very common um at least yeah, for, me, for those that's of the us there's for those of us in the 2000s who sat through the original ending episodes of neon genesis evangelion yeah like you, oh, could, you could put me in front of a blank wall with mm -hmm. a crack in the middle that never changes and i would end <laughs> up developing a story around it because that's i'm like well something yeah. had to happen somebody paid for it um yeah. yeah there's something going on but yeah so i kind of was just like yep i'm just gonna take this as kind of just the anime this is what they're doing this is how it goes uh eventually they will tell us what's going on and um i agree with taz in like the first 30 minutes super slow um then it picked up a little more in the middle and then the last 30 minutes it like really got going um i also agree with tad like i took the um like the flashback i don't know like the, the adventure in the city of fate as more of a dream type sequence and an analogy in her existential crisis of like her impending doom or like her upcoming death she knew that she was terminally ill um she kind of like is sort of like stroking out as she's driving the car and then sees yeah. the pigeon and tries to swerve so it's like and like i rewatched that opening scene for her dialogue and it's like not knowing that she's ill um having a terminal illness you can take it if she's just late for a meeting and she's just kind of a jokey type person and if you go and rewatch it it's like very dark humor she's like i don't have time for this i do not literally have time to be in a traffic jam right now and then she's joking about reselling her car but it's like oh like yeah someone might say that about their nice car that's getting trashed but also like it's way darker if you know like she was gonna die within a week right, right? right um like the estate sale is going to be great you shouldn't shoot up this car <laughs> right yeah um yeah and like i also kind of thought like as the but like then i was just like well maybe it wasn't exactly just like a dream because they bring this little girl into it and you don't know what kind of crazy worlds they visited in the shenanigans sure. that they got up to and then at 
and then spoiler alert at the end her childlike self joins the group yeah so she is there in duplicate as her child self from the very early flashbacks and like her current self they have like um, a little conversation her team. Like right the end, after she and kills so, the fate beast for like a half second i thought like oh did they not show her face because and this is like before the final showdown with the giant fate cat did they not show her face because the older copy of her was actually killed by fate like on time according to schedule and they took back with them the younger version of her who is then who the one who is dying in the hospital and that's why they don't show you how old she is but i don't think that's what actually happened yeah, it's just it's sort of like one of those open ending things if it's more played, interesting than what happened yeah <laughs> if it had been played with for a different tone crack in the wall um i think it, so what's interesting my if you were to put me on the spot with a gun in my head and say what exactly happened was the dream sequence real or not my assumption would be okay or my reasoning would be all right it was a real adventure that is then manipulated by her m- memory as she's dying or living because and the only the only real clue to that potentially is one we don't who knows about the imagery involved which we'll talk about in a second between the town itself and why it looks the way it does um but the little sorceress girl who rides the cat doesn't seem to have any relation to her and then when they actually get in the citadel there is an old woman who's dressed like the girl but and she's telling them it's you can't do anything about it and then at the end both of uh, during the big climactic battle both the little sorcerer and the old sorcerer are talking to each other and remy's young self actually shows up to yell at them for a brief moment and so there's a couple of things you could say well that represents childhood and old age right because they look the same except one is ancient and one is young but you also could say well they kind of seem like essentially like alien shrine maidens to this this beast so i would think it's probably both but who knows and that's one of those things that is not just japanese but very foreign non-american film in general which is we don't have to explain everything to you sometimes shit happens and you don't know do you know that person on the side of the road that you passed do you know what they're doing with the rest of their life no why would you um, so it's an interesting take. So I think it's probably a blend of both would be my, my personal preference or takeaway. Um, so it is, it's just interesting because Remy has these conversations with sort of every aspect of her scenario. Like she talks to herself in the beginning in the car. Um, she talks to the little evil sorceress like she's like are you just gonna ignore me now because she's doing her own thing at her desk in the hotel room and she's like i doubt you'd let me and kind of gives her sass and then pays attention to her um and, and just her interactions it does feel like a very someone who understands themselves navigating through the paths of like a uh presentation of the different stages of life and sometimes she doubts herself sometimes she's afraid but she always comes back to center on herself um and i I liked that but again what i think we're getting at is this is a complete insane choice for a film to follow up a children's show um and it's very much like you know much grander much different vibe it's sort of like the 
um, the James Gunn Scooby-Doo movies, the live action Scooby-Doo movies being a direct continuation of um, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The original Scooby-Doo show. It's there like, it, is. it takes every, I know I got to bring it back to James Gunn. Everything <laughs> like, it's just, uh, it, they, they elevated it and made it adult and everyone is still playing their part as they did before, but the world and circumstances around them are more, there's more consequence because there's more at stake because it's a slightly more realistic version. And it's just such a strange thing. Um, and I think we can, the one thing I want to touch on before we move on to sort of recommends and don't recommends and so on is um, the city that they arrive at, everyone in the city follows the law of the city. It, like I said, it looks like a, a Middle Eastern or Moroccan sort of vibe. Um, and at Chimes, everyone in the city prays to the Citadel and uh, they're wearing desert garb. It looks very much like um, an Islamic community praying to Mecca. Uh, and at first I was like, this is problematic, right? And it, it potentially is because especially American cinema did this too it was treated as sort of the otherness of religion. Like we're all aware of it, but in the Christian Judeo-Christian world, um, it's sort of like, well, anytime you see a mass of people praying in unison to Mecca, I know that that's somewhere else. You know, it's somewhere uh, magical or it's just an other. Uh, and it's used for sort of a fetish vibe. In this case, I think you could make the argument that it's more conceptual than that because of course they're not actually uh, Muslims in this. They are worshiping this central deity um, and they have a very specific view on fate and how fate can't be denied and how fate works on people uh, on an individual basis, like one-on-one -on -one with letters and shit. Um, and then we know it's also not directly Islam because the graveyard, all of the graves are marked with crosses, um, which, would most likely be, uh, I'm certainly not an expert on the Muslim faith, but it would most likely be a, a Christian, um, you know, system there. So it sort of leads, I think, back to, to, to Tad and Mandy's idea that this is a dream uh, or, or like a, her mental faculties dealing with her situation because those, what do those things have in common? They're both religions, but they're both religions that then speak heavily to an afterlife. Um, and it makes sense as to why not that Buddhism truly doesn't have an afterlife, but it's things like I'm not familiar enough with Shinto to be able to speak on it, but Buddhism may not be there because it doesn't speak directly to that kind of um, afterlife that here's what you did in life. So here's where you're going. Um, not that I mean, Judaism doesn't have hell or anything, but they, it, they do have, you know, some some ideas on the afterlife. So it was an interesting thing. And, and I think that um, it should be taken with a grain of salt, but I did wonder how it would be viewed now because it is so much that the actual town is so based upon what we in the West at least see as uh, Muslim communities elsewhere in the world. But again, they make it pretty clear partway through that it isn't a Muslim community, but it's clearly modeled on a Muslim community, which I think could be problematic and I don't think they would do nowadays. Um, so there's that um there was one other thing that i liked about um the storytelling um patterns and style and art um which i 
remember from other animes, which was the repetition of the same scenes. And you mentioned it, like the um, the hanging, I think the dye um, yarns yeah. that she walks through in the market. And you see that, I think, like four times at least in the film. And it's just like each time it layers more context and more tension mm-hmm. about the impending events of her fate. Exactly. Um, and like you said, what could it be? Well, it kind of looks like the strings of fate, right? I mean, let's go back yeah. to Greek mythology. So when you're looking at all of these things, it feels, and like with her necklace, it feels intentional. Even mm-hmm. if I didn't get everything, and I'm sure I didn't, I feel like they intentionally put it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and- yeah, I know, but I like that. And like I remember it from animes like Perfect Blue, mm-hmm. where they would kind of show like like almost literally like the same exact frames like over again um in like certain like i don't know it was like separated out a bit but like each time you saw it it kind of added to the tension and the storytelling and the context mm-hmm. of like what was going on so it didn't get boring um even though you were literally saying seeing the same thing again so i like yeah, that I mean, about this one i think that's uh i think that's a wise thing to point out and i I think it, I was really excited to talk about this one because I thought that we might have some uh, opposing views because I feel like this film is probably extremely polarizing um, considering both it's the nature of the, the story they decided to tell and how they decided to tell it combined with the fact that it is a continuation of a previously different vibe um, property. So we're going to move on here to uh, our final round of recommend or nots. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Tad. Would you recommend Go Shogun Time Tranger uh, to people? And if so, why? Surprisingly, yes, I would. Um, normally, I wouldn't recommend something that rec- if you really want to get enough context for it, that you have to do your research beforehand. And I did a little research beforehand that said it kind of stands on its own. And then the first 30 minutes I went, no, the fuck it does. This doesn't stand on its own. And then I realized, no, it kind of does because it's really not about the story. It's about the analysis of the character and her experiences and all that. So I thought that worked out really well. Um, By the way, about Evangelion, let me tell you something. Just because something is clever doesn't mean that it's good or entertaining. And, I, and people will fall into this trap all the fucking time. You can make something clever, but it doesn't make it actually worth fucking watching. Evangelion sucks. And I'll, I'm on record saying that. Fuck that show. <laughs> I would like to, if, if you guys would like to hear us do an entire retrospective of Evangelion in the films, oh please let us know because uh, I actually would be super down to do that because there's a lot to talk about. And I didn't see Evangelion until... Uh, last year, 2020, and it's been out for quite some time. Uh, and uh, it has been lauded as one of the best anime series you can watch. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 50 50 it with Tad here and, and say that there are huge problems. And of course, there are problems that are, there's a lot of backstory that we could talk about problems in production and what they did later and all sorts of interesting things. So I think it's a good story. I think maybe we'll touch on that, but if you guys want to hear it, of course, drop us a line at Colton classic podcast on uh, Instagram, facebook.com slash Colton classic podcast. And uh, you can email us at Colton classic podcast at gmail.com. So I'm going to, I'm going to sum up my experience with this as I thought it was a much more interesting story than I thought it was going to be. And actually, I think I'm going to give it a second watch just to get a little more meat out of it. 
But um, what was brought up, um, I kind of thought about, and uh, this, is, this is one of those things, a property decided to uh, bring something out that kind of grew with the audience, which is a problem that Star Wars was having up until recently because we mentioned The Mandalorian. Star Wars, uh, some people who try to defend when Star Wars sucks goes, well, it's a kid's show or it's a kid's movie. Star Wars was never intended to be for kids. It was intended to be for everybody. And when it doesn't satisfy everybody, you get a bunch of crazy people who go nuts because they didn't get what they wanted. And that's fine. But um, what people are really looking for is it's a 40 year old property and they want that property to kind of move on and grow. And that's what and finally, when people saw the Mandalorian, like, such as myself, went, oh my God, they finally actually like matured the property. You can make the kids shows like Rebels and, uh, and whatever that other show is. I don't know what the hell the other animated show is. Clone Wars. You can, yeah, you can do that. You can absolutely do that. But much, you know, move the property forward and don't make shitty movies that basically try to do everything and suck at everything. But this is, this is one of those things like they matured it they, they went, we're going to do something that kind of closes the gap and also brings in people who might have, you know, gotten into this as younger. They're a little older now. They can handle this. Show them the consequences of, of all that because it's not going to always be kitty stuff forever. And I think, and that, that goes for a lot of properties as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I appreciated it a lot. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's growing with a property is something that, um, you know, I mean, Harry, I brought up Harry Potter again, we'll do it again. It sort of did that as well, right? Like it's, it's like things got more serious and the consequences got more real later in the series and the films reflected that. Uh, and what was shocked me about this one is that it only took place, like it was only made four years after the series ran. So probably only three years after it stopped being original, right? Uh, stopped running new episodes, which is pretty shocking depending on the age. So I have a feeling this might be one of those movies where if I were a kid and following the show and then I saw it, I would be depressed and confused and I wouldn't really like it. And then when I saw it, when I heard someone talking about it, when I was like 16, 17, I'd watch it again and I'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Okay. And then when I was 35, 45, I'd watch it and be like, that's a fucking masterpiece. Um, so it's an interesting, interesting thing. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Jeff, we'll, we'll end with you, Greg. Jeff. Would you recommend with your no no uh, subtitling watching Go Shogun Time of Stranger? <laughs> I, I would, yeah. I think you know anybody that can tolerate watching animated shows uh, should definitely watch this. Um, I watched it purely in Japanese, and I, I think that actually says something to the movie because uh, I was able to to basically get through the entire film without being bored. Um, essentially watching a silent film you know like the even the, the dialogue is is almost like a like a music soundtrack in that case you're listening for um the like the inflections of their voices and like you're kind of getting the emotions and stuff from that uh but you don't know what the words they're saying um you know on top of the actual musical accompaniment um and it it still worked for me like i was able to to enjoy this film um uh, in in kind of that uh function um and i and i totally agree with you i would not have liked this movie when i was younger even even when i was a 16 i probably been like 
boring give me some robots um and you know I'll, i have a little bit of that now that i'm 35 <laughs> uh you, you know less so um i can still really enjoy the you know the imagery and the um kind of surrealistic abstract ideas that they're throwing out there and trying to like um trying to tell a story um you know in a, in a kind of a non-standard uh, fashion um, yeah, I agree with you. I think at 16, I even I would have wanted to like it, but I don't know yeah. that I really would have. Yeah. Um, and I want to just catch because I was thinking about, as you're saying, the sort of uh, surrealistic vibe and the way it's presented. Mandy, you mentioned Perfect Blue, which is usually credited as like the best adult anime film of the past couple decades and or yeah, a few decades. And I, it is, I think, a great film, but if you say you understand everything in that movie, you're full of shit. Mm. Uh, there are things that truly just don't make sense. Um, and really, you don't know why they're there. Uh, and, and I think that that's typical of the concepts, not even the concepts, it's typical of the presentation that a lot of Japanese filmmakers, when they go for things that are really serious, aim for, which is, it's more like poetry in that, um, you may they may be trying to make you feel something and that's more important than you logically understanding what the actual material is like having the yeah. concrete definition and that can be really upsetting to uh to people especially in the west where i mean when i write a story there's a beginning middle and end and every piece has to wrap up because if it doesn't it bothers me and I know it'll bother other people, but that's not the case all the time in, in, uh, uh, yeah. in this kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but we were at a party and I brought perfect blue when we were, you know, in high school, uh, and our friends hated it. I didn't remember they hated it cause I liked it. Yeah. Um, we both liked it. You and I liked it and they hated it. Like they were funny. like, they're like, how even, dare you put us through this? Was I even <laughs> like, there? I think you were. Was I? I, yeah. I may have blocked it all out. Yeah, that's it was, funny. Yeah, I, I can't remember who he showed it to. Maybe like John Barberry. Like I was Tim just going to say JB. Like, I'm sure. uh, yeah. I think uh, probably Nick Fournier was there. Was like, there. Uh, you were definitely there. I remember because you and I were like, oh, this is great. And everybody else is like, you guys are monsters. Like, how dare you make us watch this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want my bloody time back. <laughs> um, interesting. Well, all right, let's move on. Greg, uh, would you recommend Ghost Shogun Time of Stranger to anyone? And if so, why? And if not, why? And what else would you recommend in its place? Um, no, no, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. Um, unless you are a fan of Ghost Shogun. Unless you watched the show, um, I didn't think that this uh, was self-contained enough to be enjoyable for me, at least. Um if I'm going to pick a comparable anime film that's based on a show that I think is very self-contained, um, the Speed Racer movie, the entire plot is in the title. He's a very speedy racer. And that's, I think that's the movie where like, it's just a giant Grand Prix, like across the entire country or something, if I recall. Yeah, um, it's actually an, it's actually an edit together of, are you talking about the, the original animated one? Yes. yes yeah. It's actually an edit together of several episodes and you're right. It is exactly, it is yeah. exactly that. <laughs> um, I was also, um, I was, uh, I think the other reason is um, thinking about, you said uh, Kunihiko Yuyama, um, 
they uh, did a bunch of the Pokemon movies and they did this and thinking about what I jokingly made fun of Pokemon, the movie, I choose you. Um, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense that they did go Shogun because both movies are equally just fucking confusing in a lot of ways. I think <laughs> they, they, they overreach themselves. Um, Pokemon, the movie, I choose you kind of recently famously ending with a dream sequence for Pikachu <laughs> speaks to ash and says i love you and you don't really know how to take that and neither does ash um i would also kind of um throw in symbionic titan from a uh, gendy tartakovsky um just if you're looking for something that's about giant robots and this didn't have giant robots um that's a short-lived tragically cut off tv show that you should seek out i think it's still on netflix um but yeah that's my take and that's, of course, Jenny Tarnovsky of Primal and Samurai Jack and, oh, yeah. more importantly, Dexter's Laboratory. Um, yeah, and, and if, interestingly, if anyone uh, liked the original 1998 Ushio and Tora anime, uh, Boy and Demon, um, which I personally loved, it was another OAV, go, go check out this because this is by the same crew. And I, I think while they're not the same at all, um, it's treated with intelligence as well. Um, a much more pulpy story treated with the same uh, intelligence to detail. And I think that's a lot of fun. So we're wrapping it up with me. Save myself. Oh, Try hmm? What about me? I didn't do you? Oh, no. Well, I... now I have to cancel the whole podcast. Thanks, yeah, guys. seriously. It's been a great year. You just... New host. Can we, can we all, like I the know. rest of us, can we just you vote just on a new host? You just figured I wouldn't get myself off mute again, right? So, well, yeah. I thought I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna favor Jeff by pretending I understand his uh, his imaginary sister here, Mandy. Right. Would you and now I'm starting to second guess myself. Did I already make a recommendation? Because am I oh really real? Oh, you know happening. what? If you did, Is that's that... fine. You know what? Here's no. the thing: our listeners are gonna write in and tell me that I'm a bad host. That's all they're gonna say. <laughs> they're not gonna answer the question of whether or not I already asked you. Uh, right. So, Mandy, would you recommend Go Shogun Time of Stranger? And uh, if so, why? I would recommend this one. I think um, particularly to folks that maybe have not watched very much anime or any anime and are curious about the genre and kind of want to know where they should start off. I think this will give you a pretty good taste of um, the storytelling styles and structure and the confusion and mystery of what the hell is going on in mo in a lot of animes um, without having to sit through 50 episodes of a show. The um, like really kind of like the general like pacing and arc is really scaled down to an hour and a half. Uh, and you get a lot of like, like the visual aspects, um, you know, the, as we said, like not everything is logical and clean. Um, in the end, there's a lot left to interpretation um, and feelings and emotions that are brought on by um, the the genre. So I would say, like, yeah, if you're curious, uh, this is an easy one to get a hold of. I believe it's on YouTube. Then you just check it out, and um, it had a like as Nate said, it had a good dub or a good sub subtitles with some context thrown in a little bit in different places. Um, to augment just like the straight translation so yeah good one good one to start out with it's a good point and uh i want to I'll, I'll end with for real this time with my uh my thoughts on this 
I, to be completely honest, was actually blown away by Ghost Shogun Time of Changer. I assumed that I would need to know more. Um, and while it certainly would have been helpful to have this feeling of, of knowing more of each individual character, they gave us just enough of the stereotyped parts of them. Uh, and then they chose to spend the rest of the time developing Remy and showing us, not even developing her, but showing who she already is. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I actually, by the end, I was like, you ended it that way? How friggin' brave. Because it is such a, an, a, a, an advanced storytelling device that they used with the hiding of her face. And then we never see her old at all and there's so many different ways to take many aspects of this film um i do think like tad said i could certainly watch this again and pick up a lot more uh and and i think that it was very bold i i i know that in retrospect this film has been well credited well um as, as being successful but i i'd be very curious to know how it was received at the time because i have a feeling that it would have been it would have been those Jeff is clicking so hardcore again. I know. Here's the thing, folks listening. Um, Jeff is a gamer. And so something that has happened in the gaming community in the past five, six years for PC is that every, every input device has to make goddamn noise. Your mouse click better be able to turn on your clapper. Your keyboard uh, should be able to launch a marble to the ceiling with its kickback, everything is so loud. So I hope you know that Jeff is doing amazing work behind the scenes to make this a successful podcast. He couldn't possibly be clicking just to make noise. He's not, um, but it's, it's beautiful. And uh, I wanna thank everyone. I'm gonna recommend Go, Go Shogun Time of Changer. Um, even if you don't like it in the end, I think that you'll be able to see that, okay, I understand there's value in this. It's one of those things where I respect this even if I didn't like it. I personally loved this film. Um, I'm gonna, I don't know what else to watch after because it's one of those films that just really aimed high and it's definitely a product of a vision for a story that they stayed true to rather than a lot of producers putting their hands in it. And that's something we just don't get very often, even in anime um, and and where, where it's, especially in anime actually, where it's kind of the, give the audience what they want 90% of the time, high school, the dead kind of stuff, which, Hey, I'm not crapping on that too much. Maybe fan maybe. service. Fan service. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this one, I think, had had the true meaning of fan service, which is giving fans uh, depth of character on people that they already love. So interesting touch. I would have loved to see a movie like this for each of the characters. That would have blown my mind. Uh, and I would, but as it is, um, I I recommend this film. So that's it for us on this episode of Colton Classic Podcast Anime Reboots always reach out to us via the interwebs in any way you can playing us out as usual is uh, the chud with their song all about evil i urge you guys to subscribe and also help us out by writing a review on uh, the podcast platform of your choice especially itunes apple Podcasts, google podcast reviews really help us get out uh to new listeners and it lets us know what's great what you'd like more of and uh what's great so reach out to us review us and thank you guys so much for being a part of the cult and classic podcast community hey everyone thanks for listening to cult and classic podcast this podcast is important to me but what's more important are the rights 
privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.